Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's January 13th. 1404, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. It was today in history in 1404 that Henry IV of England issued the Act Against Multipliers, a ban on the craft of multiplication. I get it, we all hate maths, but the multiplication (laughs) that Henry was so against was actually the mysterious art more commonly known as alchemy. Yes, the act read, none from hereafter shall use to multiply gold or silver or use the craft of multiplication. And if any the same do, they incur the pain of felony, which, you know, is just, it's a crime, I guess, is what they're saying (laughs) there. Um, But basically, the English government was pretty seriously concerned that some enterprising alchemist would actually figure out the art of multiplication. Yeah, well, it's more like cloning. As we know it now, right? right? Yeah, it's, they they were worried that someone would be able to clone money, like take mm. a piece of gold and then replicate a piece of gold, and therefore, like there would be no need for the crown and there'd be no need for Parliament because you could just make your own money. You know, there was a genuine fear that this could somehow be done, that it, that alchemy was a real thing and that you could make gold, but also just the idea that lots of people could be conned into this. So not only would people be Mm. losing money, including possibly important people like nobles who the king might want to protect, but also that all this fake gold would then enter circulation and you'd be swimming in gold and silver that wasn't real and then the whole economy would be thrown off as well. If that happened, if people were trading fake gold and they didn't know it was fake, what's the difference? Like In those days, there's no centralised Bank of England, is there? Like, what does it matter? Like, if someone's got a token of their purchasing ability and it's accepted as such, what's the problem? Well, I suppose the problem is that if you have an object that isn't just fake gold, it's gold. You know, that they were worried that you weren't just like creating a thing that looked like gold. It would actually be gold exactly. all over so again. So what's the problem? Like, well, actually, if it happens... We're not but, economists, Ollie. We don't know, but we know that it's not good. No, well, I suppose the problem is that if you have a limitless supply of a precious object, it stops being precious. Like, for example, and I don't know if this is true, but I heard that there's actually a superfluity of diamonds in the world, but the diamond market has to artificially hold diamonds back to keep them precious. And I suppose mm. same, you know, if everything is made out of gold because you can just turn gold into more gold, then <laughs> it isn't precious anymore. I love the way they arrived at this thinking that the multiplication of gold and silver was even possible because it was via the Pope. The idea was the Pope m- might be using multiplication to enrich the church because... Look how he can duplicate Christ's body as part of the weekly mass. Ooh, yes. And that's science. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you'd have thought, especially Henry IV of everyone, like who's able to, like, you know, strip out the pomposity around his own existence, he'd be able to say, yeah, but really, come on, guys. You know, yeah. but no, they were like, 
yeah, he's duplicating Christ every week, week in, week out, so he can do anything. Well, it was definitely a slightly weird time for European science because, you know, on the one hand, you had this very serious research being devoted to not just multiplication, but transmutation of, you know, turning, say, lead into gold. But on the other hand, you had like some of those same researchers, the people like Robert Boyle and Isaac Newton in the late 17th century, who were using this research to discover the basic principles of things like combustion and stuff that went on to be the basis of gunpowder and so on. So, like, it was peculiar and based on, like, magical thinking, but it actually became proper scientific advancement. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, also now we think there's chemistry, that's kind of a field that we've delineated. And then this is like a weird thing that medieval people did in robes. But it was, you know, the involvement of people like Isaac Newton, who, by the way, was actually obsessed with alchemy. It wasn't just a side project. He genuinely thought there was potential in this, just shows that it was part of science. And they were yeah. using a lot of the equipment that we would recognise now as lab equipment. They were using vials, and they're using techniques like distillation, you know, all the things that would become crucial to developing chemistry in the centuries Head, they were using it they just didn't know that they couldn't turn lead into gold mm. and there was a relationship between alchemists and monarchs over centuries throughout this time so henry the fourth might have banned it but his um, grandson henry the sixth issued licenses to alchemists mm. so that the science could continue under his watch yeah. under his patronage we've spoken before in our episode the quintessential whiskey drinker about king james the fourth of scotland's interest in alchemy so that's this century as well by the end of this century he had an official royal alchemist on board, John Damien, who was seeking the life elixir, the fifth element, the quintessence. Yeah, no scientists can do this except my scientists. Exactly. That's the, that's the rule. But the history of alchemy uh, goes back a long way all over the world, from China and India, in the Muslim world. And for Europeans, alchemy originated in this spiritual worldview that said that everything, everything in the universe has this universal spirit within it, and metal were not only alive, but also grew inside the earth like living organisms. You could turn simpler metals, things like lead, for example, into um, noble metals like gold, and all you needed to do was mature them much as you would mature a child. Ugh. And you can see why it was kind of the cryptocurrency of its day, can't you? <laughs> yeah. You can see why people were dubious. Yeah. Well, this, it was rooted in a wide variety of texts. So you had a lot of this was coming to Europe through the Arab world. Like early Arab scientists were really interested in alchemy. But they themselves got a lot of those ideas from the older Greek and Greco-Egyptian texts. This is where it all really started. And then as the Renaissance approached, those texts made it back to Europe. You know, sort of the, the, after the, what, what were called the Dark Ages, you had all of these classical things being rediscovered. And some of it was real. You had like real stuff by by the likes of Aristotle and Plato. But there was also a lot of fake texts as well. You know, people realised that they could just mm. say, yeah, I found this random bit of Greek writing, probably Aristotle's. And then you just sell it saying like, <laughs> Aristotle's Guide to XYZ. So there was a lot New of Plato just dropped, you guys. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and when you look at the kinds of texts they were, some of them were properly, you know, magic-y magic, but others laid out what we would recognise as maybe slightly more scientific analysis of the properties of metal. A lot of it was based around the Greek idea of the four elements, fire, earth, air and water, and how you could manipulate one thing into another. And so this is where the Philosopher's Stone came from as well. The Philosopher's Stone, even though in the Arab world it was usually described as being a red powder rather than a stone, that was the substance that would act as the catalyst for the transformation. So it was it's something that we would kind of recognise as vaguely scientific. It was just mm. a case of finding it. And mm. the Arabic alchemists actually called it alixir, which is the root of the word elixir. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because, you, you know, obviously the word philosopher still exists and you think of a philosopher through history as being a man sitting around stroking his long beard, basically. Mm. You don't think of them as people playing around with base metals. Yeah. <laughs> but the two things went hand in hand. And then you can understand why there was this suspicion about philosophers, because it wasn't just about philosophy. It was about sort of black magic. There's yeah. repeated jokes in the Canterbury Tale about this. Chaucer saying, watch out for philosophers, which basically... They can spin gold from metal. They're kind of con artists. Yeah. In March 2016, the Chemical Heritage Foundation bought this 17th century alchemy manuscript that had been written by Newton, which had been buried in this private collection for decades. But this manuscript detailed how to make philosophical mercury, and that was thought to be the first step towards creating a philosopher's stone. And it wasn't all about turning lead into gold either. It covered the whole field of basically turning one thing into another another thing via a mysterious process, including creating an elixir of immortality. That's the other thing that alchemists were really preoccupied with, was being able to find the secret to eternal life. And obviously that was something else that was also very appealing if you happened to be a king during this period. Mm. But also awkward if you're keen on Christianity, right? Like on the one hand, we believe in the church. And on the other hand, I'm going to secretly endeavour to see if I can create eternal life for myself. <laughs> you can understand why there was like a front of, we need to say this isn't on, whilst there's an interest behind the scenes in propagating this work. Which continues to this day. You know, the Jeff Bezos's and, uh, you know, multi-billionaires of today continue to pour research into these ideas of life extension. Well, again, I'm back to cloning. You know, we talked about this in our Dolly the Sheep episode, didn't we? There was a moral panic created by that, which kick-started a whole range of laws which prevent all kinds of cloning development from happening, hypothetically. Like, yeah. or we've, we think it might be possible for someone to create a baby from scratch, so we're going to stop any scientific development. And you know what? We wouldn't have needed those new laws had the Multiplication Act not been repealed. No. <laughs> three centuries later. And to be fair, even when alchemy was legal, it was still a very risky practice. I found an example from early 1700s Berlin. There was an alchemist called Domenico Manuel Caetano. He called himself Count Ruggiero. He successfully fooled many wealthy people in Berlin and was making money hand over fist, but not making gold hand over fist because obviously he wasn't actually making gold. His problem started when he became famous enough to attract the attention of King Frederick of Prussia, who was like, oh, I've heard about your turning copper into gold thing can you do it for me? And he was like, mm-hmm. And obviously the king became increasingly impatient and eventually he gave him a deadline of a year to produce gold and obviously he wasn't able to. And history tells us that he was hanged from a gilded scaffold. <laughs> That's such an up yours. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try to do this or we will hang you from the thing that we find you to be guilty of. <laughs> <laughs> And so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.